0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Lowdown today. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Rangers first team coach Neil Banfield. Neil,
1: welcome to the show. You're welcome, Connor. I hope uh, everything's well with your end. It's all going well.
0: Fantastic. Neil, as we begin with every guest that comes on the show, we begin by asking what was the earliest football memory?
1: Oh, my football memory was probably going over to West Ham. My dad took me, father took me over to West Ham. It was Stoke sitting, and I think the biggest thing I can remember was going into the stadium and seeing how vast the green pitch and it's stayed with me for a long time and the vastness of it. And being a young one, I used to have match of the day and I can always remember all the big matches on the, on the Sunday or Saturday afternoon. When the goal went in, I was thinking the goal's going to be shown again. And it was a bit hard for me to understand there was no other goals, it was live. So I think that was the biggest thing, That's the, the green of the pitch and the, and the stadium, stay, that was the biggest thing that me was when I first went to a to a football game.
0: Fantastic, and obviously most of us now on the outside we know you to be a coach. Indeed, looking at your tenures at Arsenal, QPR, now at Rangers as first team coach, but I mean you had a playing career as well. I mean, so right yeah, you a... yeah,
1: yeah, I did have a, I did have a bit of a playing career. Yes, I was an England schoolboy and in a England youth international, and I made my debut because I went to Crystal Palace. I joined Crystal Palace's as associated schoolboy, and um, the likes of uh, Peter Nicholas, Kenny Sasser was all a few years older than me, Jerry Murphy. Vince Lair, Sean Brooks, Leslie Carter, uh, Billy Gilbert, I mentioned. Um, uh, so, them, them kind of players I was in and around me, won the Youth Cup. I made my debut for them at 18 and a half at Villa. Played a couple of times in the old first division, the Championship. Um, and then they let me go and I went out to Australia. I had a couple of seasons in Australia. Come back and signed for Leighton Orient. Stayed there for two seasons. Played in the old third division. Um, and then once again, I get released. And then I went to, in the non-league with um, Redbridge. From there, I took my coaching badges and my coaching career has taken off slightly better than it did my football career.
0: And was the coaching something you'd always know that you were going to end up in? Or was it kind of a case of not being <laughs> forced, but it was a consequence of um, your ill-fated?
1: Well, I don't know. I think it was probably, I always enjoyed coaching because I was always, I was working, when well, I was only young when I was playing, but I was... Um, I enjoyed coaching. I took me prelim, and I was used to be the prelim better when I was seventeen. And I just enjoyed coaching. I was uh, in a few schools, and me and um, I think my my father was very heavy into coaching. He was a coach at uh, Fulham, went out to Jordan, and in Nigeria, and he, and he was at Crystal Palace with John Cartwright and I, had Terry Venables. So I was always from a younger age. My dad was a South South East South Southwest Essex Coaching Association. Trevor Brooking. So I was in and around coaching for a very young age. So I think subconsciously you it sort of like goes in when you're listening to people all the time. And then you're you're lucky enough to take it on and you, you get sort of like in, I was because I was coaching from seventeen, I was exposed to coaching and working with people, and speaking in groups. So it was never a real problem for me to, to and I enjoyed coaching as well. So it was just a natural progression really.
0: forget, yeah. And they assumed being inspired by those mentors to take that next step would have been absolutely massive at the time. And in fact, like you had quite the apprenticeship too, you're at the esteemed Charlton Academy for six to seven years.
1: Yeah, I was, Um, when I, uh, when I finished playing, I got me, I think I got, I took my full badge at uh, 30, 29, 30. And John Cartwright uh, said to me, what are you going to do? Because um, he was my youth coach at, at Crystal Palace at the time and kept in touch and, and then I said, I'm not sure, John. So said, well, we do satellite centres. It was the old School of Excellence. Um, and he asked me to take the Charlton one at Terence McMillan. And then that was Lee Bowyer, uh, Jermaine Defoe. Um, and that's where I first came across Michael Bill, And um, we had Scotty Parker. So and then, then I got, uh, got, I was offered a role as a uh, head of recruitment at, um, uh, at Charlton. But John said, take the job, but you can double up and coach as well and come in with me. So I, t- I took that job, and then John left, and Alan Kirby and Steve Gritt invited me to become youth team coach, and that's where it all snowballed and went on went on from.
0: And um, what were the set of circumstances that led you to Arsenal at the time? The-
1: <laughs> well, I think I think it was circumstances was was a li- it's, that one's a little bit private uh, with the family and my wife, and we decided that was probably at the time being a youth coach wasn't financially. The right reason it wasn't sustainable with three young children, so I had to go and find something else to do. And then Arsenal came along, and it was a matter of more part time and working was probably financially better at the time for me and the family. So we, I decided to make that decision, come away from it, and and look to just coaching in the coach anywhere really. But I had another profession that I did, and at that time it was more um, sustainable for the family. Um, So we could have a better standard of living, if I'm honest.
0: And I suppose, though, looking back in hindsight, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. As the old adage goes, but looking back, looking at where you are now compared to back then, you must be delighted in not taking, you know, not in taking the risk, but not skipping any steps at the same time, which is not no. to pass on to coaches nowadays, especially. No,
1: one hundred percent. It was, a, it was a tough decision at the time, but I knew I was going to carry on coaching because I really enjoyed it, and. And then to get the opportunity, which again was come from Steve Rowley, he offered me a part time role, and it's sort of like, it sort of like it fitted in like a jigsaw. The puzzle started, the pieces started to fit, and what I was doing in my private in my, in work in life and with my football life, everything started to take place. Uh, to take uh, take place, and it then set me up to go back into full time Arsenal when Liam offered me the role. And me walking into the building for the first time at Arsenal. You know, I'm fascinated
0: to hear what met you because people speak about, you know, there's an Atletico Madrid way, there's a West Ham way, there's certainly an Arsenal way.
1: Yeah. I think growing up as well, Arsenal's was very close to my heart. My grandfather was an Arsenal supporter and my father was probably more West Ham. So there was always a, it was a tug which way I was going to go and Arsenal well, always had, had a feeling for Arsenal, going into Arsenal and the, and the Marble halls. And I was very, and it stuck with me when I was trialling as a, uh, myself, I used to go to Arsenal. We trained at the Red gras behind the clock end, and it always stuck with me. And there was a part of me that said I really should have signed in the Associated Board forms for Arsenal, but I decided to go to Crystal Palace. So there was a part of me that felt that I liked it, and I going in there, the tradition and the history and the uh, and the way it's done. It's um, and to go full circle coming up to Rangers, it's got it's got that ethos that Arsenal had um, that I really. Uh, I was really, really impressed with and, and you could feel it as you walked in the club.
0: And is that a necessary prerequisite for your development to have that ethos within
1: the club? I think it's a book it's a good part. I think it's the ethos what it stands for, uh, the morals and the tradition and the way football should be played. So uh, maybe that's a bit harsh the way football any football should be played anyway, and anyway gets you what you want, your where you want to go with what you've got. So I think it just attracted me the old the old tradition of football and the standings and the um of uh, of Arsenal and that that held a lot for me.
0: I mean, going back into youth development, of course, I mean all those guys, you know, better on the cusp of making it into the reserves and then into the first team at the time. They all need that little bit of structure, and that was something which you were able to go in and provide with the likes of Steve Bold. Liam Brady no longer, no um other than Arson Wenger as well, in creating that elite development group. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, Neil? Because it was quite revolutionary at the time in terms of yeah, the
1: I, Yes, it was. I was um I was inv- I was asked by Steve Rowley at the time to go when I um left Charlton. I was asked to go into uh, Arsenal. Steve ran me up. He said, Look, what you're doing, we'd like you to come and take uh, an under 14 side. Um and that one was Stevie Sidwell, funny enough, he was the that was my first. And Ashley Cole was just a year older. Johnny Alls and Liam chill was them kind of players. Uh, Jay Boothroyd. Um, so I went along and I took that group. And then the club changed. And David Dean, he decided to make the club an uh, arson. He invited arson come in as the manager. And Liam become a head of youth. It, it was the first rule split. So that David, Mr Dean's idea was that if arson left, the youth structure wouldn't change because it had Liam was head of it. So Liam was that, and I was working part-time for him, and Liam had a good look at it, and then he said, right, I'm, I now want to, uh, it changed at, um, I think it was the uh, Centre of Excellence, or the South East Counties, so I'd have more direction, and they went for a 17s, and 19s team. So Liam bought Don Owen as the overseer of the football, and Don Givens was taken as the under-19 coach, and I was asked if I invited, and asked if I'd like to become the number seventeen coach at Arsenal, which again, it's sometimes I've been very fortunate through for my career. Been asked questions, asked for jobs that you you can't say no to. Arsenal and Rangers up as well, up at up in Rangers. That it's a, it's a, it's clubs you don't think twice, what twice about. So um, I went back in full time, and I was lucky enough to work under Donnell for um, for a, for fruit for five years, and then Don left, and both Don's left, and. I was head of head of youth for Arsenal, and I carried on the, the I I carried on the work that was implemented by Liam and by Arsenal, their philosophies, and how they wanted to shape the Arsenal Academy, which in turn would shape the Arsenal first team that that's coming down from the first team. So it was all shaped from, from by Arsenal, in through in through uh, Liam, and in through the um, the youth coaches. Nice I mean, you look at the litany of players that have
0: progressed through that group, the likes of Sessegnon, Fabregas, the likes of Jack Wilshere, who, as we all know, has gone full circle in terms of his playing career. Now, oh yeah, yeah. A, I, think last week.
1: I think it's. I think it's. I think we let's get it straight. I think, I think clubs like Arsenal, uh, um, Chelsea's West End, they've always produced players. They will always produce players for where it is, but I think um, what they what they put in place was a strategy um, to actually produce this produce. Groups of players over a regular basis, so it was it was formed early from Arsenal, um, and we had a technical comit- uh, committee, um, and, and at first he let Liam get on with it, and he he would he trusted Liam implicitly, and we and we, and we developed these uh, young players and the groups we had, the Bruce Marumba, Nicholas Bentner, uh, Sebastian Larson, Ashley Cole, all then was the first wave that started to come through, and then and then Arsenal. He started to change an Arsenal a bit because Arsenal came in from Japan it was a bit unknown at the time, so it took him a little bit of time to for all his ideas to funnel down to the youth through Liam. But Liam and Arsenal were very similar in their football ideas, and they got on the like house on fire. They thought of football the same way, um, and Liam Brady for me was a, he was a he was a great man to work for. And The way he saw football what a player um, he 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 would speak to the players about football and it was like it was like um doing a I spoke to someone recently it was by like, it was like doing a, a degree course with Liam with his football and intelligence it was excellent I learned so much from him you
0: going to fly on a wall in those chats between yourself Arsene um, and Liam Brady must be and Don yeah.
1: Givens and it was me come from uh, I come from some times was sometimes the time that you had to turn around and pinch yourself because you wondered where you but I think they respected that I was quite a, quite a good coach and Obviously, you respect them and you listen and you listen because you're starting out, and then you take what the ideas they've got. Because I'd come, I'd had a good education through Terry Venables and John Cartwright, and John Cartwright was for me and my father was a good coach, and uh, John Cartwright was probably his ideas and the ideology of of football was um, where I think I've always got my basis from: street football and where to play and how to build it and how to develop players. and You know, and it's it, it was all it's of like all come along and amalgamated and come out in the way that my philosophies are there in football,
0: and obviously you touched upon it there when Wenger came in. It took him a little bit of time to get his views, his mythology down to Liam Brady's level, and already what Arsenal were doing. How did Arsenal Wenger enhance the elite player development project that was already undergoing at Arsenal?
1: Well, I think it it was there was a, I think there was a, there's all I think there's always been when I think when you look back, I think the eye coming across from Ireland, I think. John Devine, Frank Stapleton, uh, Liam Brady, uh, Niall Quinn. They had a real good Irish connection. So there's always been a connection there. And Arsenal have always produced homegrown Pat Rice, always produced homegrown players. So I think Arsenal um, realised that and he was solely concentrated on being successful for the first team. And he would speak with us about how he sees the game. And there there was no real, this is how you've got to do it. It was... It was this is how I do it. This is how I see it. Because he was solely when he first arrived, he was he was um, solely thinking about his job and winning winning things for Arsenal Football Club. I think as time progressed, and I can speak about it, touch on it later. Harry uh, started to really have an input and the direction in the in the academy in the in the development of young players at Arsenal Football Club.
0: And I mean, a large part of this player migration, too, right, Neil? The exact science and the timing.
1: How do you know a player is ready to make that leap to first team football? Oh, that's a different one. I, I was a piece of string. You never know. You can't tell. All you can do. Um, again, it's part of his. If you when we go into it or if you want to get into it, how we decided to structure it. It was always. Um, it wasn't just one mouse, and Austin was the the first team manager, and I was head of the elite program uh, with big responsibilities, and we and we developed a. A technical committee. Uh, when Liam Part uh, moved on, and then it was, was Arsenal and Liam himself, and then Steve Ball came along. We had Dermot um, Drummy. Um, bless him, who passed away. Um, Bobby Arbor was part of it. We had a real good core, Steve a good call of football, and um, and we would put into. We decided to make. Um, Chelsea were coming along, and with their, they were starting to grow as a youth development, and we we felt that they were going to be really active and really strong. On for us how to develop play, and attract players to to Arsenal because of also, obviously financial reasons and and the way Chelsea were going to uh, drive on with it. So we sat around the table and we decided to develop this this academy structure of an elite group and a development group. So we decided to form groups within groups. It was not it was not um, it was all ability based, wasn't age controlled, um, and it was formed. Um, Well, I think the group that you see now, I think um, the likes of Saka was the youngest one that I was involved with. And we put a group together that the last group that I was involved with was Saka was the youngest. Uh, We had Christian Billick, Ben Sheaf, Mark Bowler, Jordy Tutu. Joe Willock was in midfield with Eddie, um, uh, Glenn Kamara. And also we had Chrissy Willock, Eddie Nikita, Rhys Nelson, Emil Smith-Rowe. So that was one group, and above that there were the players like tube Ratpong, Alex Awobi. So this was formed the five-six year group, all bound together. So that was one group, and then above that was like the Jack Wilshere group, the, the Francis Cochrane group, the Carl Bartley group, and, um, and uh, uh, J. Emmanuel Thomas group, Sanchez Watts. They, so and um, Jeffrey Adelaide was in that group. So they was they was they, these were groups built. They were put together three or four years prior to them coming through and they was worked on all the way through. Some come at the time, some joined as it went through. So we were really respectful, not respectful, but we, we were really trying to be clever because we couldn't compete with the likes of Chelsea and the likes of Manchester City with the financial side of it at that level, at the amount they do. We could compete and we would compete with them, but we had to put be clever and put them all together. And we, we used our coaches, we thought really intelligently to have five, six coaches with the group. We talk about two, we had four or five working with them. So you could then divide that group into sections. Uh so you'd have one one coach per four or five, four or five young players. So it was a real ideology of Arsenal put into place. And I think it, it didn't, as I said earlier, it didn't actually produce one or two players, which they always will, Arsenal. It produced three four five players and also players and within that five six players that would go and have careers because we were really we really um we really considered the player um we considered the, the person as a player player as a person so what we felt was the one we try to give them a career at arsenal two we want to give them a career and liam would uh, with their education was vitally important so if they didn't make it, they could always go into other fields and have a successful whatever they want to go into, have a, have a successful career what they chose. Um, and if one or two wasn't fortunate enough to make a career, they could find something else to do and go into some other sphere of football. John Terrell's in that uh, the right the, the right back who played for us will come from Barcelona as well. He was he was in that group, so it was really I thought it was in, it was really thought over, and it was a group. It wasn't one man. It was a group of us that would have, we would sit down and, and Arsene would, Arson, um we spoke about this with Arsene, and he agreed with it. He thought it was a good idea. So then he would let us get on with it. And then we would group these players together and they would have regular portfolios and we would ask how they're getting on. He would come and watch him. We'd borrow a act. So it was a real ideology of how to produce a young player on a regular basis. Uh, and I think he held it in good stead. And the players that he had is, Testimony to what went on, allied to good coaching and making them good people as well. It's absolutely
0: fascinating. It's so rare you have that blend where, as a con- as a good by consequence of the club ethos and the people you have in the building, that's a unique competitive advantage. Not too many other clubs can replicate. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I think the thing the thing I feel that Morris um, Fultz was involved in it. Philip Sendros, Gal Clichy, they all come across and was in these groups. I think it was. um it was more of about it was about producing players, not teams. And Arsene was very much he was very much in the to the forefront of listen, I'm the manager, I just want players. So if you've got three midfield players, I'll have the midfield players. It doesn't that's that's how it comes along in cycles. So he was very, very aware and very knowledgeable because he did it himself. He said, I'm not worried about teams, just keep a flow of young players. And um one of his one of his um his uh, his ideas well not his I think all the young all the managers top managers had this his his philosophy was that if we're putting x amount of money and time and coaching and expertise into these academy players I have a manager one of the I have a a right to put them into the team but they've got to be good enough so the so the so they get to a stage they'd be working every day and it was a it was an idea of the best with the best and working with them and. And making an afternoon sessions, and they would all work together, and and he would come along and look at them, and then they would come. Then there was a regular transfer. He would want players over, so we'd say, "Well, give me three players," and they would go and train with with the uh, with the first team. And then when they came back, the coaches would say, "Well, come and watch," and he'd integrate the coaches into the sessions or be around the first team we'd watch. And then my job at that time, when I was head of the elite group, was to take them over and train them. And then when when they come back, we would have a debrief with the manager over a m- couple of months and say, right, player X, what has you got to t- do to get into your squad, Arsenal? And it wasn't what the coaches wanted. It was because Arsenal was the manager, so it was looking for these players through Arsenal's eyes. It's not what I want, it, or what I think is going to be a first team player. It's what the manager wants. So then I would relate early re, uh, as that back, relate that backstory to the coaches, Cole Aaron and. Steve getting and that first Baldy was was the youth coach and they would say okay so their training was be formulated ran what the manager wanted for them players to then go jump back into the first team group and train because he, his idea was okay we've got these young players they come and train they might be a bit short on one or two things before I can trust them to play on the first team physically tactically mentally uh, tactically so he's like so they would then go back and revert say what's he got to do they would then work with the players. And then he, what he wanted to see was an improvement of the things that he spoke to them about to enable them to, to become better players as he made the and get into the first-team group. So it wasn't about teams. And the team shape came, because the way the team plays, it t- technically you had to be uh, of a real good standard to get into the Arsenal, Arsenal way of playing. So it was all very, very thought out. Um, and that's how we developed these groups and these way of playing and and the ideology of producing players for Arsenal football Club.
0: I'm sure that must have been reaffirming for yourself, Neil, because obviously you've made the transition between being a talent developer and first-team coach, so being so close to seeing the work that was being done at first-team level must have enhanced the views that you were doing, must have enhanced your own view on what you were doing at regards youth development at the time.
1: Oh, well, yeah, 100%, but as I say, it was always driven by arson, and if he wasn't dic- dictator, uh, he wasn't a dictator in a way he spoke to you. he was very open we'd speak and we'd discuss football and it was a fluid discussion um, but we were all all working the same the same way and we we knew what the manager wanted it was, and for but I think the winning of trophies for the manager enabled him to in, then implement his ideas and how to um produce a a successful academy and an academy that, that legacy that will keep keep churning out players um, for time if they keep it going. And it was a magnificent, magnificent operation from down at the academy, Stevie Leonard and um, and the, the young lads. Seeing all the young lads all, all progress through into first team players when I was in.
0: And obviously being so close to Arsene Wenger, and I mean you've worked with your fair share of esteemed football people throughout your tenure, at Neil. I mean, what was the one thing that Vanguard did that surprisingly no one else did?
1: One one of the things that he did, I think, when he first came, I thought he I thought he was very instrumental in the way uh, senior players at the time looked at their careers and 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 could make their careers longer, uh, extend their careers. I think there was a, a stasis to senior pros at the time when he came in. They first looked at him and thought, okay, Arsene, Arsene, and they'd admit that. But I, I, I assume that they soon, he soon earned their respect by the way he started to look after the players and one to one man management he was excellent with and the way he spoke to them and he advised them to to extend their careers and how to advise how to extend your careers and I think the likes of Tony Adams, Steve Bowl, Mike Young, Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, I think he put at least three or four years on their on their careers and I think it was at the time that. The Premier League start to explode. <coughs> Excuse me, and I think they they um, they bought into his ideas of stretching and and eating well and your diet and being more professional. Great players, but then they would then start to really condition themselves. And I think that added to that was the first rule marker that went down that that for me was very impressive. <sighs> Excuse me, I've got a bit of a cold.
0: Yeah, I mean, like the one thing that struck me about him at the time, even watching it. As an eight, nine-year-old Chelsea fan, we couldn't get near you guys. But how he was able to manage that dressing room of world-class players, and not only that, how he was able to replicate that over time with a yeah. litany with a litany of great sides. But the yeah. evolution of the dressing rooms, you had guys there like Patrick Vieira, Tony Adams, Dennis Burkamp, Thierry Henry. How he yeah. was able to balance the football he was playing. The ownership he's given the players and the responsibility
1: in tandem was just. I, 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 I think the word you used there was ownership. I mm. think he he gave them a freedom within a certain sphere of how to play, um, and uh, they had their they knew where to. They had a certain way of playing and a structure to their game. So I think if you look at the Arsenal sides when they first with Marco, Mars on the left, it was free. Uh, Emmanuel Petit Patrick Vieira Ray Parler Dennis Burke Antierre Henry and Imperius came in but they had had a structure to the team they had a way of playing and it was a technical game of high quality passing and movement and physicality and you could run and you could chase and you could get after people Uh, without the ball as well and he was very very uh, strong in that department of wanting to hey yes we want to play but uh, it's a two two two-edged sword that when it's there we win the game and I think um, coming up Two rangers have spoken with Michael, and it's and I've been very fortunate to play, be in a group, be around a group, and watch top teams. And it's it's not so much when you've got the ball because you know what they're going to do, you know how they're going to play. It's when you haven't got the ball. I think we watched Manchester City the other night. They're so solid and strong. When you haven't got the ball, they're coming to get the ball. They're coming for you, and they're going to put you under pressure. And they're going to, but they do it. They do it with intelligence and structure. And I think that's what he implemented at Arsenal. But they had great players and players who could handle the ball. And when you look at Lee Dixon, Nigel Winkerman and, and Stevie Bold, I don't think they get the credit. What what they deserve as technical players. They were, they, were, they were good players, really good players.
0: I mean, you had a core backbone there, a core spine of English players supplanted by the foreign imports at the time. But the one team I want to take us back to, and you probably know this better than I, is, of course, the Invincibles. I mean, from yeah. the outset, at that time there seemed there seemed to be in that sense of inevitability and aura within the group. I mean, is yeah. that reciprocated from the from the inside?
1: Well, I think I think they I think it started out. It, it was a growing process, as they, everything is, and you felt that something was growing. I think Newcastle are seeing that at the moment. Um, they can maybe not at that level or that intensity, but you can feel that Newcastle are going to go and win games with what they've got and how they're planned and how they set up by uh, Eddie and, and the way they want to play football and I think we had it at that time at Arsenal right through from Jens the Gig goalkeeper Touré, Sol Campbell uh, Gilberto and, and Thierry and I just think it was a it was a way I think that was a process of, I think because Arsenal said earlier that he thinks you can go you could go I think he's actually he said that the year earlier he said I think you can go a whole season um, unbeaten and it happened the following year so I think um, it I think it was a belief in their own, their own, the, the, their own way of playing, and they felt strong, and it was at the right time. And it, I think it was um, everything sort of like come together at the right time, and they got you get confidence with winning, and they just didn't feel they was ever going to get beat. So it was just uh, no matter what, they were going to win or they weren't going to get beat. And I think they, uh, I think that was just coming from, a, I think that that came from a, a tried and tested over the years, and it, and it built and it built and it built to where you're actually going uh, like the Arsenal went with it to become the Invincibles.
0: One thing which I've always admired, though, about Arsenal has been the ability to obviously focus on the short-term, the here and the now, but to balance that with the long-term view. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring that up is I was listening to you on a previous podcast in preparation for this, Neil, and I heard how Wenger and yourself have enticed the first-team players such as Patrick Vieira, Santi Cazorla, and indeed current first-team boss Mikel Arteta to be involved in the player feedback process, working with youth, may be able to bring us a little bit more up to speed regarding
1: that? I think I think, I think, Arsenal's always... I think Arson, I think uh, having, a, having a, a good youth team, uh, or a good youth structure like West Ham just won the Youth Cup. I think if you look at their side and you follow their players in their careers, I think they come along in, in groups and they've got a good side West Ham. They've got some really good individual players that should progress into their first team. And I think Arsenal was very aware of this, and a big part of it was we had a we had a we had we, we had a facility at London Colney that the first team players could link up with the youth team players, and he would put one or two together, and he would ask them to speak to them, and they would form. A, um, they all felt was one, you know, and that was that was uh, that was watered by the by Arsenal he wanted to grow this this feeling, and and I think if you have a strong a strong youth youth a youth youth team, you have one of the foundations which is strong in, in a good club. and uh, One of his firm beliefs is having a good youth structure. And that's one of the pillars of your strength as a football club. And he knew that you actually, this takes time to build. But at first he had to come in and actually hit the ground running, so to speak, and show them who Arsenal was and to win. And that gave him longevity to then start implementing his ideas on how to to develop and structure a football club.
0: One thing coming from the coaching staff, but to have first team players coming back in, feeding back to you team prospects at the time, that peer to peer learning, you know, it's undefeated. Oh,
1: it was. Um, yeah, it was. It was. I think because they they were they were around one other, and when he had lunch, they would we would actually target. We would bring the youth players up when the first team were about, and we would say like when they're going out to get their dinner. This and, and Patrick Vieira and Thierry, there was. Um, they were great with the young players. I've seen them in action, and they was um, they were excellent. And they would speak with them. And and at first, the young players were wide eyed, and you, you sort of like push young, but they were central midfield players. Go and speak to Pat and, and Martin Tony and Tony um, and Martin Keown and we had Thierry would come down and have talks with the youth team, and there was a good feeling. It was a good feeling to uh, um, they didn't feel overawed when because when they went to train with them, they did the lads didn't feel overawed. They were already comfortable going across and playing with them Amazing to have that with that culture you could say within the football club yeah, right? it was a culture yeah with with that that the culture was massive the culture that but that got to a culture doesn't you have to a culture exists but you to make it you to make it grow you have to water it so you have to work at it and it was uh, worked out all the time all the time interesting
0: and i mean again reflecting back on what was going on at the time one of the players who took forward lead in that was uh Mikel Arteta, who's very invested in youth players' progress at Arsenal at the time. Neil, I mean, from the inside, did he always have that management bug in him?
1: We've seen the fantastic season. Right? <coughs> I wonder, uh, who can you say, who, can you ever tell you who's going to be a manager? I think you, there are ones that you could say, yeah, he had the he had the qualities to become a manager. Jack Wilshere was just starting his coaching career off at the moment. Um, when Jack was a lad, would you have said him as a coach and going to be a manager? Never in a million years, in my opinion. But as you get when you get to know Jack and his football intelligence and his understanding and he's come through the Arsenal, I think I think that I think that's a major part that when you've got young players that come through your club, they want to stay around your club when they become senior players and they want to give back into the, it's because of what Arsenal have given to them. Uh, and it's great to see Jack now. of uh the under eighteen coach with Adam Birchall who was an also Arsenal Academy player. So they've got Arsenal people running, which all the clubs have. I think Kevin Keane is now the um, under-18 coach at um, West Ham, which is excellent because they, they've they felt it. They've lived that life. You know, they've come through as a youth kid. So they know what's expected of them. Um, but again, this was always uh, getting back to Mikel. At that time, did you think he was going to be a manager? Uh, possibly, yes. Mikel had the... Uh, had the um, the, you saw the qualities in him that would uh, uh, that you think yeah he could become a manager he was very insightful to football he um was always interested in in the teams who he was playing against tactically he was very inquisitive um and I, I think he on the pitch he always worked out how to beat teams and was very strong in in the way he wanted in a good way that he that he wanted wanted the club to be successful and wherever he went PSG everton right the way through. Um he's always been successful. And I think it's um it's a testament to uh, the kind of the, the player he was and the manager he's become.
0: And reflecting back now, I mean on all those players' careers that you would have worked with at a youth level, first team level and seeing how fair they come, be it Artetic Other, be it Wiltshire coming full circle in his journey, but be it like an Emmy Martinez who's gone on to enjoy success elsewhere and win a World Cup at Argentina. I can imagine for a guy who's been a steep a new team development, no more so than yourself, Neil, you have an immense source of pride and satisfaction.
1: Oh, yeah, I think um, I've been very, very fortunate over the career at Arsenal and through, through from where I started off at Charlton when you the likes of Scott Parker now and Michael, who I'm with at Rangers, the manager, um, coming right through and Stephen Bradley out in Ireland um, and Patrick, uh, Patrick and Stephen. There's, there's a couple of Irish lads that are managers out there as well. Uh, I spoke to one of the Irish uh, press guys and that uh, you watch him and, and you, you take great great pride in seeing him seeing him in seeing him uh, grow into managers coaches. Gal Keats, he's just become a, a full coach. He's he's starting to make waves as a coach for a young coach and Jack started as I mentioned but seeing Mikel come on and, and these players go into it. Yeah it's a sense of uh, you you do you watch him and it it does feel you with real real good pride to to see how they're developing in different ways.
0: Mm. Of course, Neil, I mean, we were speaking about the journey and the development played in players' careers, but what about coaches' careers too, because one of the guys you were working with at Charlton was Mickey Bale, albeit 20 or so years ago, and you've now joined him as his first team coach at Rangers. How was that Michael.
1: Yeah, Michael's sometimes life's got a funny way of of leading you apart and back to one another, and Michael was a young player at Charlton, um, left winger, and he was in the same same group as, uh, the A group was Jermaine Defoe, and Scott Parker, Kimmy Isit, and um, Paul Konchelski, Another good group that we that was a way that, that Charlton did really well. Um, I left Charlton, and Michael just for some reason, um, it didn't happen for Michael playing, um, but he loved his football and his coaching, um, and he didn't let that go, and he started to get his career a bit like myself really, um, and he's gone on with it. He's uh. He went out to Brazil and came back and went to Liverpool and met up with Stephen Gerrard. And, and he's really forward thinking and he's inventive and he's going to be a good manager, a good coach. And um, then he went to Aston Villa. Um, and then he came to QPR. And that was a very strange, um, strange time because Mark had left and Les wanted to keep me, but Michael was approached to become the manager. Obviously, I knew Michael and you, and Les wanted me to stay. And Michael, obviously, forming his his backroom staff, and he had his staff, and he had to think about it a little bit, and which is rightly so, it's how football is. And, and he said no, I'm no nil, and found out a bit more about what I'd done, and obviously knew about me, and and he offered me a role, and we got together again, and we hooked up, and uh QPR, uh, we had a very successful start at QPR with Damien and Harry. Harry. Um, and we and then Michael got the opportunity to come to to Rangers and he invited me up and I come up with him and it's been an amazing journey uh, and it's been a really exciting time. And now you're at such a big club as Rangers and with Michael as the manager, so it's uh, what an experience and a life. I think it's like being I'm, I'm 60 now and you think to yourself, life change, does it change and all of a sudden from being around in London, living at London with your family, you you are people and you come up to, to Glasgow. Hello, I lost you there, sorry, Connor. Yeah, all good. I have you here. Oh good. Um and it came about and life sort of like take a real big change of direction. Get a flat on my own. Obviously, my wife comes up. I've got me I've got three old older children myself, Joshua, Rebecca and Rachel, i've just I've had my first grandchild, and I've got another grandchild coming in uh, in July, so my wife, though she really likes coming up, she's very wants to be around the grandchildren and her own daughters, so living on my own for a quite a little while and long periods it's it's a, it's a bit different and takes it. A- sort of planned household and of course oh, you, yeah no look,
0: we're at the business end of the season I mean you've been involved in your fair share of North London derbies before. But of course, I mean, this podcast will go out in a few weeks, but this Sunday, two days from now, you're playing the Scottish Cup semi-final against the all-firm rival Celtic. I mean, Neil, for someone from the outside, what's it like to be part of that all-firm experience? Where does
1: it pale in comparison when it looks yeah. look at the North London? Oh, where do you, where can you start? I think, obviously, you are about him, and Liam spoke about him, spoke about the old firm, you've seen him, and Mark Warburton told me about him and the... And you come up and you, yeah, and it doesn't. It, it exceeds what they said. It's uh, it's tingling as the players walking out. And I've had three so far. I've had uh, one at um, one at Ibrox, fantastic with our supporters. Uh, it's electric. And then we go to Hamden. What a place as well, Hamden. And you hear the stories. And again, the tradition at Hamden. The players that grace the fields at Hamden Park, and and you feel privileged to be. Be sitting there and being part of this tradition. And then we go to Parkhead, which again was a fantastic experience. Um, and unfortunately, we've come up on the wrong side of results, both sides. Feel so we're we're quite close. And now we're heading into a semi-final um in the Scottish Cup. So I've been as again, I've been very fortunate. I've done seven cup finals at Arsenal, three as the actual coach, and the other four was I was in the club was at a youth, so. I've been to seven cup finals been Fortunate at Arsenal now to to already had one cup final with Rangers, one semi-final. and 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 hopefully we we are it does go our way on, on, on Sunday and we get into a, a Scottish cup cup final, which would be be someone from Poplar and started out at Poplar Boys and traveled through Crystal Palace and going on not making the real grade, playing but not really fulfilling what really you felt you should have done. To then go into coaching and and have no real um, visions of where it's going to take you. So at twenty one to go to Charlton, twenty one years at Arsenal, QPR first in coaching there. I'm I'm there here with Michael, with another another part of your career at Rangers Football Club. Um, my son Joshua he says sometimes says Dad, you don't really know what you've achieved or what you've been involved in, and I think he's right sometimes when you're so close, you don't realise, and then when you step away and you have a look and you. You start to speak to people, and you you reminisce, and you start to talk about guys and players that you've been around and you've worked with and you've spoken to. It's, it's, a, it's a, it does it does sometimes I have to pinch myself sometimes to look. I just take it from day to day, and I work hard and try to do a good job for everyone I'm working for. So it's been a great um, been a great career so far
0: fantastic and I mean as we come to a close in this podcast deal I mean you've been at the forefront of the game really the last 20 30 years I mean you've seen the game evolve in various different titles from your experience to your days at Arsenal to the current days Rangers first team coach I mean with your fine lens I mean where do you see football heading next
1: oh that's hard to uh, that's that's an odd one where you're looking where it's going to go I think uh, I think that I uh, Although I've been at the... I've, yeah, I've been at the Sharpen, but I think the people that I've been around, I think Terry Venables, Liam Brady, uh, Don Al, Arsene Wenger, um, uh, Mark Warburton, and then you've got... Um, and now Michael Bill. The, the three... joins them all together. It's the football way they want to play the game. And that hasn't changed a great deal, if I'm honest. The way Terry Terry Venables won it through Malcolm Allison, but I think when you look at Malcolm Allison, I saw a video when he was doing uh, more to do. It's not a lot different than what we're asking uh, Conor Golston to do now, and what Arsenal asked Cole Turee and um, Sol Campbell to do, and Tony Adams and Baldy. So I don't. The, the elite coaches and the elite football people, I think the game gets quicker, gets more demanding. I think the influence of social media and um, and it, it's just exploded. It's a uh, they're superstars, and um, when you see people like the um, like David Beckham and people of that, uh, they're world-renowned and world renowned and well superstars. Um, where's the football going? Where would you say it going? You may start to say like Asia. Asia's really exploding now, and up here with the, with the Japanese players, and you might look at India. I think starting to grow. With the population in India, will that have an influx? Will players come out of there? Time will tell. Who knows? Um, I think the game in itself is is getting quicker and faster every year. And I think that's the only way it's gonna go. Um and the way the players look at themselves and the technical level are getting so high. Football and be, um, football becoming um a family experience. When I first started, it was you there you go with your dad and um you go with your dad and you watch your game, now you've got your wives and your sisters and it's an it's a family experience. It's a great experience. I think I think the biggest thing for me was when when the when the when the ladies started playing and you, and my and the wives started wanting to go and my my daughter wanting to go, football exploded again. It reached out to another um, another audience, uh, and I think it's only great for the game, um, and it's a worldwide game. And I think with the, with the and I think that's the way it's going. And I think that people have, who are in control of the game have got a, a really big importance of where they want to take it because the messages it just gives as well. Um, in the way in life in general, now you can succeed. Uh, I think they've got a really, really a big importance to the to the future, the future players or generations that are coming through. I think they've really got to take a be aware of how much um, power they hold in their hands that they can be influential to you know, the younger generation of the world. I think it's a bit deep, but I think it's such a big game. I think there's there's big there's big messages you can put out there, and sport for me is a wonderful. Is a wonderful uh, communicator, um, and I think it's um, through all sport when you see him playing tennis, swimming, the sport, and the and the, I think the people that are, even my little bit, the people I played with and coached, with, they they become friends for life. Um, and yeah, you know, I was out in Australia, and I've made friends that have lasted a lifetime. Um, and I think it's
0: uh, it, I think the game's a great game. That's where it all goes back to, isn't it? Just connection
1: and relationships. It's a lovely game. That's why we played it. That's what I used to say to. That's why you went and kicked around. i and going to kick because we love playing football. You never lose that love for the game and that passion for the game. Because when you strip it all back, it's all about how you love the game and how you want You just love playing. Um, we had we had a staff game up in up in there. All the lads want to play, and it's you can feel the love for the game. I it, speak. It, it, it's any sport you're in, you have a love for it. Swimming, cricket, hockey, tennis. It's the love. It's the passion. Golf. It's just a love for it and and your friendships that you make along the way for your career lasts for a lifetime. I'm getting to that essence because it can be a
0: double-edged sword at times. And where I'm going with the snail is, I mean, as a football coach or as a football lover, your attention can be everywhere, especially with social media nowadays, and your focus can be nowhere. But, but for those that, was- that would be interested in threading a similar career path, such as to such as yourself, Neil. I mean, what would the one bit of advice you would have for them?
1: I think, I think, I think I've been very, I've been very lucky. What I've, what I've got to attain, where i have attained to through hard work, and 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 working in it, and 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 there is, yeah, always being in touch with the top level. Arsenal used to say to me, um, but I think you're honest with yourself. You know, I've never had no real. Um, uh, uh, I think you, I think the biggest thing I would put say is be honest with yourself and the people that you're working with, because not everyone can be um, a David Beckham or a Paul Scholes or a um, uh, who's playing in England, see Phil Foden, you know, and the young players that, that are coming through at the moment. and uh, not, but I think there's the dream sometimes can be it can be a it can be really it can be a disaster for you, and I think you've got to be honest with your own with your own. Um, uh, abilities and where you can reach um, because I see so many although I've mentioned so many good players that have gone on and played and, and had careers, I've seen a lot of young, lot of young players being really um, hurt by hurt by not making a grade and their life it changes their life, so I think once again the academies and the people that are, have got this game in their hands, they've got to be very aware of the problem it can cause um, and mental health, and and being in touch with players. That and sometimes I think the academy system does create that. If I'm honest, because it takes too many players, and it gives these young players um, ideas and beyond their station, and and they dream of being players. And when they're hurt, some of them can't get over it. And it's and I think it's the honesty um, and how you deal with these players all the way through their careers. And I think there are a lot of young players within the British Academy that won't make the grade. And it's a worry to me uh, because it can cause major mental problems and how they deal with life in general. Because life's hard. Life's hard. You get up every morning. It's a hard life. to, to Whatever you're successful in, it's hard if you've got a job and you're going to work The uh, socially at the moment, uh, how it is worldwide and how hard, how tough it is. It's a bloody hard life. Um, and I think uh, football... Has got a has got a way that it's got to protect them to it and be honest with them and straight with these young players that are coming through and the William and the ladies' academies that are going to come through as well. And they give them, they don't give them the dreams, but they have the dreams of being. But there's only eleven that can play. We look at the ladies; they've won the World Cup, they won the European Cup, and the way they're going on their trajectory. And I see that I see the pitfalls of some of these young players that dream of becoming superstars and don't make it. And believe you me, it's hard for them. And and also, I think the parents of these young players have got have got to take it on and be aware of what their child can achieve and be honest with them. Because a lot of them are putting them under so much pressure, it's frightening and it re- and it really worries me. I, I really get concerned that the pressure that uh, some of these parents uh, put on their own children is it's disgraceful. At times, in my opinion, it's a very
0: important message to share as we begin to close out the podcast, Neil. To always kind of have at the forefront that essence as to why we're in the game, the connection, the love, the passion and fall in
1: love with the process and not necessarily the end result. Well, 100%. Yeah. Wherever you play for part football, my son plays for his team, backer still, and I go and watch him as much as I do the Rangers and the love they have for playing. I totally enjoy it. You just love playing it. But I think you've got to be really uh, um, reflective of what you can achieve within football and just enjoy it. When, when you're out there, just enjoying the love for the game. But when you are involved in it, and like we are, we're in the sharp, the sharp end of it. When you're a professional footballer, it's it's a it's a hard it's a hard industry to be successful in. Uh, very rewarding, but it's very very hard, and the demands they put on one another, and we we put on them as well to be successful. So it's um being, but that's being a professional athlete. I see the runners. on watch the London Marathon there. They train. The tennis players there. They train. It's it's really really hard, and it's a strain. So we have to be aware of that, I think, in their in their development as, as young people into adulthood. What an
0: important message. Neil, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Really was looking
1: forward to this one and I did not disappoint. Uh, Connor, thank you very much for inviting me on. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've been great speaking with you. Great speaking with you.